Worshiping God is we join all the generations past. Isn't that, isn't that such a beautiful thing to think about all the generations that we read throughout Scripture, throughout the generations that you have known in your lifetime? We join the generations that have gone before us singing to our Creator. Um, I'm going to introduce a new song that Pastor Brian um, asked me to sing for this series. Um, it's super easy. You guys are going to catch on really fast. <laughs> it's just kind of the nature of, of worship songs these days. What I appreciate about this, if I can just, just give you my opinion, um, is there's this, this cultural move even in Christianity right now to kind of separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament and be like, oh, nope, they're too different. Right? I mean, this is a thing. I, maybe, maybe this is blowing some of y'all's minds, but I promise you, it's a thing. And so what I love about God and the way that he moves and speaks is he is still speaking to creatives to write songs to address this cultural moment. It's the same truth. It's the same God, which is literally the name of this song. Same God. <laughs> same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Preach it. I mean, well, I'm not going to. Pastor Brian's going to preach more on that later. I'm going to leave that to him. But I just, this is so relevant to our culture right now. And I just am, am praising God that, again, song, new songs are still being written with the same truth, but that are so pointed to what this culture needs right now. So young people, learn this song, sing it out, claim it as your truth, that we serve the same God. Amen. You're going to love this song, my friends. Um, let me sing to you the chorus first. It's really simple. It goes like this. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing. covenant 
here's the cry. Sing it, church. You are the same. 
for your mercy never failed me all my days i've been held in your hands from the moment that i wake up until i lay my head oh i will sing of the goodness of god come on church sing it out the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest nights. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I the goodness of God. Cause all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness. goodness of God. Oh, I will sing of your goodness, God. You may be seated for just a few moments. We want to welcome you and thank you for choosing to worship with us today. Met a lot of new friends already this morning. My name is Pastor Brian. And, and it's my honor and privilege to, to lead this faith family that normally meets in two separate services. Uh, but on certain times of year, we like to come together uh, and, and combine the two. Uh, each service has a unique personality. It's been fun to watch. Those personalities kind of come together this morning. And we are so glad that you uh, get to be a part of that today. Uh, parents, we know maybe you've shown up today and you weren't expecting this. And then you're, you're a little worried about your kids. Don't be. Uh, we're glad they're here. We're glad you're here. I want them here. Uh, they belong. 
And these times matter when we get to worship together. We get to model for them what worship is about and perhaps open up some opportunity for conversations when you get home later today about what faith means. Uh, so, so know that they're not going to bother me. And if they bother the person next to you, tell them to get over it. Pastor Brian said so. So, all right. And we're going to talk a little bit today about why we're here and why this matters. As we lead up to prayer in just a few moments, there's a few things I wanted to kind of do to set the stage for our conversation this morning. Uh, the Bible, uh, God's Word, whether it be uh, leather-bound or paperback or electronic or digital, whatever means of God's Word you use and read, ultimately is about two things. It's about covenant. It's about kingdom. We're all part of the kingdom of God, as long as we continue to live in covenant relationship with Him. We're going to talk about covenant these next several weeks together, but today is a unique Sunday. Uh, we don't always have Sunday on December 31st or New Year's Eve. And perhaps you've been or attended a church where you've been a part of a tradition in the past where you've had what's called a watch night service or a covenant renewal time. A service is typically held on New Year's Eve or the Sunday closest to New Year's Day. And we're going to kind of incorporate some of those themes of a covenant renewal service this morning. One of those themes is celebration. And we're going to celebrate the year that God has just given us in 2023. That's not to say there haven't been challenges, that there hasn't been loss, there haven't been difficulties. But if we look back with, with eyes wide open, we see the good things that God has done and is doing among us. For instance, we are a church that continues to meet the needs of our community as they call and as they present themselves. We're a church that responds to benevolence and to help with, with rent and, and utility bills or even food and other things. We'll talk about in just a few moments. But we're also a church that celebrates growing families. Not just our faith family, but the, the literal family. We've seen eight babies born into our faith family this year. GL and Carson, Owen, Melody and Mia, Anya, Aubrey and Evelyn. We've dedicated three little ones to God. Or rather, we've dedicated their parents. Their parents have committed to raise their children in the fear of the Lord and in a way that they will hopefully lead and come to know who Jesus Christ is in their life. We've baptized seven believers in faith. We've welcomed six new members into our faith family. I hope those numbers are great. We celebrate them, but I hope they double or triple next year. God is up to something big in our church. Through Blessings in a Backpack through 2023, if you're not familiar with that, it's, it's a meal ministry where we send weekend meals home to children in our community that, that may uh, need uh, food assistance. 9,231 Blessings in a Backpack packs have gone out. You've been a big part of that in our local church. Through partnering with the Hope Center, over 10,000 meals have been served out of our Family Life Center, our, our gymnasium, this past year. These are celebratory things that God's doing among us. But we can count those things. But we also get excited about what God's doing within our faith family. You've helped us remodel our next-gen area. Our, our children and teen area, I believe, is second to none in our community. I'm excited about the commitment we've made to our young people. Our families matter. Uh, we, we've been able to meet the needs that our facility has presented itself, from air conditioning to, to roof leaks to a steeple that just keeps on giving us problems and letting the water in where it's not supposed to be. But God is good. We're seeing new volunteers step up and help us in the area of our buildings and grounds and our facility. I want to thank the Belts for their help with our landscaping and Sue Timmons with our flowers. It's such a beautiful thing. Things are happening here that are so exciting. Even the city's getting involved. They know what God's going to do in this church. Next year, they're going to widen Maple Avenue just for us. <laughs> that's, my, that's how I look at it. <laughs> they're getting ready for the traffic that's going to be coming to, to the Marysville Church of the Nazarene. We're going to continue to invest in people. We sent 23 children to our children's camps this year. Six teens went to Nazarene Youth Conference. Over 20 went to a fall retreat. God's positioning us to carry his message into our growing community. And I'm excited to be a part of that. 
We're seeking his vision and his mission for our faith family. We don't have it all figured out. He's up to something new and fresh and good. We're trying to discover what the nuts and bolts of that are going to look like. How we as a church are going to fulfill the Great Commission. Raising up new leaders. Continuing to call people into ministry. This past year, your church board has issued three new local ministry licenses. To Amy Davis, to Mara Castle, and to Brian Nurick. We're excited about that. That's the first step. That's right. We can applaud that. Right? That's the first step in their acknowledgement that God's up to something in their life. They've already been doing it. We're just trying to affirm it and try to, to put some punch behind that. Next steps are district licenses and hopefully down the road ordination. Those were celebratory moments. I've, I've had conversations with four others that I believe God has a call upon their life and I'm still praying with and, and working with and having conversations with for the future. God's raising up new leaders. This is a sending church. This is a church that historically God has called people out of to serve and to minister. He's continuing that even today. Our, our local connections ministry, or previously hospitality, you'll see new leadership in 2024. Ethan and Holly Allen have agreed to take on the, the leadership role of that. Ethan is over here. You're going to hear more from them in the coming weeks, but I want you to know who they are because I, I believe our connections is such an integral part uh, of who we are as we welcome new faces into our faith family. Uh, we don't want people to slip through the cracks. Each and every one of you matter, and we're glad you're here. And as, try, as hard as I might, I, and I love meeting names, I love knowing your stories. We're going to the point where there's just so many stories I can't keep up. That, I'm getting old. But uh, you combine the two, and it's just not a good, good situation. Uh, celebrate Recovery. We're looking for a late spring, early summer launch. We've been talking about that now for almost a year, and God's putting the pieces together. Pastor Josh is now on sabbatical for the next four weeks. Part of his sabbatical is, is preparation and planning for our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Uh, we have a meeting come up, as Amy announced earlier, on January 28th. If that is something that is even remotely interested to you, we hope invite you to come. See what God might do through you this area of recovery. The re reality is, all of us are recovering from something. We, we try to hide it, we try to pretend sometimes, but we're all recovering from something. And when we were willing to share those challenging moments in our life, we can be a light to someone else, an encouragement, a help. When we come beside those who dose desperately need it, that's when we become the hands and feet of Jesus. These things that we celebrate, I know I haven't touched on all of them. That's just a drop in the bucket of what God's doing here. Then leads us to the next part of a covenant renewal. An important part of renewing the covenant is a time of confession. Being willing to acknowledge those times in our lives where maybe we haven't quite measured up, where we've had tough times, maybe through weariness or frustration or, or even no fault of our own, we found ourselves struggling spiritually. And this time of confession puts ourselves in the right posture and position for God to come beside us and to lift us up. It's not an easy time, though. Confession's not an easy thing, but it's a necessary thing. It's an important thing. This covenant renewal idea, it's been around for over 250 years in the life of the church. John Wesley adapted it for uh, his work for the purpose of renewal of, one's belief, of a believer's covenant with God. What a great way to end 2023, to begin 2024, by then renewing our commitment. By again telling God, I'm all in. By, by leaving what's behind, behind, quit dragging it with us. Let go of it. Don't take it into the new year. Let God have it. This time of renewal, there were three elements that were important to it. One was the reading of the law. One was the confession of sin. And one was the sealing of our commitment. Lord, I'm all in. As we gather together, we, and as we, if we worship appropriately, the truth is every service that we have together is a sort of covenant renewal. We recognize that. But today we're going to rehearse the gospel that we hear, and we're going to respond to God 
accordingly. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah has just finished rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And he calls Ezra, the chief priest at the time, and they get together and they begin now, they fixed the walls, now they're going to start fixing the people. They read God's word. The people listened intently and they worshipped and they wept the truth of God's word. The realization of how far they drifted. Today I want to read for you out of Psalm chapter 139. One of my favorite psalms. The challenging one. Psalm of David. And David writes, Psalm 139, O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. For a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. In verse 23, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This morning, as we have a time of prayer together, I'm going to open up our altar. We have a big crowd today, so maybe you want to worship together, you want to pray together with your families in your seats. It's up to you. But we're going to have a time of confession, a time where we allow God to search us honestly and sincerely, transparently, with hearts rended. Rended means to just open, rended hearts before the Lord. Before we go any further in our worship today, allow the Holy Spirit to speak. We're going to sing that chorus again in just a moment to, to allow us a, a few moments to prepare, to, to hear, to receive, to respond. And in this time of covenant renewal, may, may it be one that we enter into willingly, excited about what God's doing, with anticipation of what he's going to continue to do in our faith family. I'm glad you're here today, and I hope that you are too. I invite you to stand with me. Let's worship him together as we prepare our hearts for prayer. So my life you have been the goodness of God. Sing that just one more time. All my life. Because all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing. The goodness of God. Father, we do acknowledge your goodness this morning. If we were to sit here, Lord, and to begin to count our blessings, we'd be here for quite a while. You are good. You're faithful. You're a God who keeps his promises. 
You're, you're a God, Lord, who honors the, the covenant that, that we have this opportunity to enter into through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a word, Lord, covenant, that I don't think we truly grasp or understand its meaning or its implications. But today, God, as we open up your word, as we read, as we learn, you help us to understand. You help us to recognize how deep, how wide, how rich, and how overflowing, how endless is the love of our Creator. The depths that you would go to, the lengths, Father, that you've gone to to get our attention, to call us back, to let us know that we're loved. And even now, Lord, your arms are outstretched. You're, you're, you're beckoning. You're welcoming some to return. Those that have drifted, Lord, those that have wandered, those that have compromised, those, Lord, that have justified, I pray this morning, in this time of confession, this time of renewal, Lord, that your spirit would speak, that, God, we would hear you, we would recognize you as you poke and as you prod, as you remind us, as you point things out. You're not doing it to condemn. You're not doing it so that we feel bad. You're trying, God, to reveal to us those things that are in the way, those things, Lord, that we're holding on to, those things, Father, that we're just got our arms wrapped around that we just can't seem to let go of. So those very things that are preventing us from walking in a covenant relationship with you might require us to be bold, to be courageous. It may require us to be humble, to be sincere. But I pray, Lord, this morning, whatever it is we've been struggling with, God, that we'd quit fighting we just relax our hands, we relax our hearts, Lord, we would turn back to you. We read in Psalm 139, there's nothing in our lives that's hidden from you. There's nothing, God, you're not aware of. This pretending, Lord, this facade that some of us have decided to continue to put on isn't fooling anybody but ourselves. Today, Lord, and help us to tear down the walls, to rebuild the ones that need to be rebuilt. Restore those, Lord, that have wandered and drifted. God, I pray that we would renew, willingly renew this covenant with you. You haven't walked away. You haven't moved. Lord, we look back on this past year and we see a lot of good things that you have done. And we celebrate those good things. Even in loss, Lord, as much as it hurts, we can find something good. Because, Lord, the whole premise of, of, of loss hurting is because what we've lost mattered. Those love gifts that you give to us, family and friends that mean so much to us, that have helped us, Lord, in so many cases come to know who you are, in their absence, Lord, we hurt. We hurt because we dared to love. What a gift, Lord. Even loss can be. Because it reminds us of your goodness. Because it draws us back to you. It reminds us of our need for you. So, Lord, we thank you even for that today. Lord, as we open up your word. Perhaps we're going to learn something new. We're going to hear a new story today. But in the new, Lord, there's a God who hasn't changed, who's still calling, who's still waiting for his children. 
And I pray, God, you continue to work on us as we sit and as we listen, as we hear, as we receive. May you speak. May we hear you. May we continue to praise and worship you. I thank you, God, for this time we have to gather in your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I shared earlier, we know that the Bible is about two things, covenant and kingdom. Or we could rephrase that, it's about relationship and responsibility. We're about being and doing. Whichever of those phrases resonates with you, they speak to the same thing. When you dig into God's word, we realize that God created us, that we were created for one reason, that we would know him. He already knows us. He creates us so that we could know him. And to know him, to truly know him, is to love him. To love him is to give ourselves to him. Over the next five weeks, we'll be talking about this idea of covenant, what it means and what it doesn't mean. And hopefully along the way, you will rediscover this creator who loves you, who desires for you to know him. And when you start to get to know him, it just changes your life from the inside out. Just as our fingerprints are unique, we each are unique creations, and that we are imprinted with his image, with his DNA, if you will. At, at the dawn of creation in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve literally were created and given life with the very breath of God, the Ruach breath of God we read about in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve were as close to God as anyone who ever walked on this earth. There, there's even a part in Scripture where, where Scripture tells us that in, in the cool of the evening, God would come down to the garden and walk with Adam and Eve. I'd love to know what that actually looked like. And someday we'll get to experience that for ourselves. So we're left with this question, why would Adam and Eve ever exert their own independence in the garden? Why would they just reject what was already perfect? They were deceived. Now they believed... Uh, the, the lie, if you will, and the lie really wasn't a lie. Satan was telling them the truth. He was just tempting them to kind of go their own way, that they could, in a sense, become like God. Many years ago, I had a pastoral mentor. His name was Dan Huckins, and Pastor Huckins says a tragedy of Adam and Eve's story is that they were already like God, created the very DNA with the imprint of God in our lives. And when we find ourselves stepping away from God, and that's what mankind has done ever since that moment, well, we try to get back to the garden. We want to get back to perfection. We want to live a life that's perfect, that this ideal dream that we have, what life should look like. We continually are pursuing that vision in our minds. We always fall short. But yet we keep pursuing. After all, it's in our blood. I see there's, there's this void in our lives that, that manifests itself when we're out of relationship with God. We try to fill it with many things, be it sex or alcohol, money or power or food or possessions, perhaps relationships or fantasies or sports or work or children, but none of them fit the void created in our lives because the void is a puzzle piece that's shaped like God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 Solomon writes thus, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He set a little bit of heaven inside of our hearts. That's the imprint of God. That's, 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 that's his thumbprint on our lives. There's this part of our hearts that God's put there that can only be filled and fulfilled 
by him. Nothing this world offers us will ever fit that spot or fill that peace. That's the void that's lacking when we live outside of a relationship with God. It's in our very DNA. And I think it's exciting to know that God himself is ingrained in us. We're created as spiritual beings to, to connect and to relate with a spiritual God. That's a beautiful thing. Now, we all have the, the, these DNA, the, these family traits, if you will. Believe it or not, there was a time in my life where I had red hair. And, and I was called a carrot top as a kid. My wife laughs at me now. It is kind of a gray top or, or white top. They said redheads don't have gray hair. It's white hair. But regardless, I'm glad I still have a little bit of hair. Because uh, after eight kids, I have less of it than I used to. But I used to have red hair. Uh, my dad had astigmatism, so I have astigmatism. And, and now I... I and was really grieving and mourning the passing of my youth when I had to get bifocals, but that's a whole other selfish time in my life. There, there's a stubborn streak in my family. I, I think that's from the Vaught side, my wife's side. She said it's from the Richardson side. I think we're both right. But, but stubbornness tends to be something that we could uh, inherit, if you will. I'm about um, six foot tall. My dad's six foot one. My mom's 5'10", so I'm kind of right in the middle right there. It's just kind of how things work. Genetics have a big uh, play in who we are, what we look like, and the kind of life that we live. It's ingrained in us. Now, I'm thankful, though, that I had grandparents that loved the Lord, and they made sure that I was in church as a child. They ingrained something else in my life. They helped reveal another part of my life that I needed. And, and we grow based upon our, our, our DNA, but we also grow based upon our environment. Each have a part in shaping and molding it. Each, in each one of our lives. But this ingrained piece of eternity that Solomon writes about in Ecclesiastes, it, it allows for a certain man in Scripture to obediently respond to God when God made absolutely no sense. Imagine being raised in a pagan culture, a culture where God has no place, a lawless society, one without rules or authorities to turn to. A culture where your security and your safety and your well-being was founded in family and in those with whom you made agreements for your protection. A culture where children were a sign of prestige, but also where child sacrifice was not uncommon. One day, you live in this culture and you hear a voice telling you to go, to pack up all you have, and to move. And for some strange reason, you do it. You obey this voice. You leave your security net. You take what family you have, which at this time is only a wife and a nephew, and you go. You don't know where you're going, just being led by this voice, but you go anyway. This is the reality of a man in Scripture named Abram. It's through Abram that God decides to hit reset and to restart his purpose. And he begins by saying, I have something special in store for you, Abram. Pack up your stuff and follow me. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God tells Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those whoever, curse, uh, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Imagine hearing this message from God and choosing to listen to it. And to be honest, if, if, if we talk to someone on the street or in our family, in our workplaces, and, you know, I, I heard this voice in my head and it told me to go do this, we would think they're a little bit not with it. This is exactly what Abram did. It, it made no sense in his day and his age and his culture to do what he did. 
God makes a promise to Abram. If you do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abram obeys. He does get himself in some trouble and eventually separates from his son. There's a whole lot of not-so-good parts of his story. But God decides to use in Abram's life what was already a common practice in a broken culture as a means of redemption, of reconnecting, of resetting his relationship with his children. It's not a contract. It's not just an agreement. Rather, God offers Abram a covenant. Now, the word covenant in Scripture, bereath, is the word in Hebrew. Bereath means an alliance, a pledge, or a treaty. But it is so much more than that. I don't think we understand covenant because it's not something we see lived out in our culture today. We'll talk more about that later. But covenant, in the context in which we see it in Scripture, it appears in the Old Testament nearly 300 times. It's taken from the root word that means to cut. At its basic level, a covenant is a binding agreement with defined boundaries, promises, and consequences with blessings and expectations. The word covenant describes God's relationship with you and with me. And God uses this unique, culturally relevant, understandable event to define his interactions with us. See, it's through the covenant that God outlines the requirements or the promises and our response. Our obedience leads to the fulfillment of the life-changing promises that God gives to each one of us. But it's always God who initiates the covenant. God looked down on earth 4,000 years ago and chose to interact with Abram in a way that Abram would clearly understand. God chose to use a ceremony that he knew would be an effective way to communicate the depths of his love and faithfulness to Abram. Participants in a covenant agreement, they, they entered into them fully realizing the breadth and the death of the commitment we're making. We'll talk about that commitment in just a few moments. That they committed themselves to each other, their possessions to one another, and their very identities became linked with their covenant partner. And while the covenant was common in culture, it's not clearly explained in Scripture. And it may lead us to ask why. But the primary reason is that it didn't need to be explained. When it was written in the Old Testament, everybody understood what covenant was about. It was so widespread, there would be no confusion. Why were they so easily understood? Because covenants in Abram's day were a matter of survival. There was no police force. There was no security. There was no one to turn to when someone would attack. So, so tribes and families would form covenants for protection. That they would form covenants to share water rights or, or, or grazing fields based for your flocks. Without covenants, your family or your tribe was left on its own to survive or to fight or even to live. Covenants didn't need to be explained because the people in Abram's culture simply understood the significance and the importance of a covenant agreement. This puts us at a disadvantage, especially when we read scripture as black and white and we don't do the homework that we need to understand the context and the backstory. God decides to connect with Abram in this unique way of covenant. So, and Abram understood perfectly what God was up to. God had made a promise. Now there's a delay in God's answer. So Abram speaks to God, and God doesn't get angry at Abram's questioning. He understands that questions are a natural part of, of our humanity, but decides to respond to Abram in a way that he would clearly understand. There would be no doubt in Abram's mind what God was committing to. We pick up Abram's story in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, God and Abram are having this conversation. In Genesis chapter 12, God has called Abram to come and follow me to this land that I will show you. And then uh, Abram does, he obeys, he's following. 
uh, God's promise to make Abram uh, the leader, the father of a great nation, and Abram begins to have some questions. And, and we read these questions in, in Genesis chapter 15. God, the Lord, appears to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Have we heard that before in recent days? I'm your shield. Your very great reward. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your protector. I'm the one who's going to watch over you. I'm the one who's going to protect you. I'm your reward. You don't need what others have because I have all that you need. This is what God's communicating to Abram. But then Abram says in verse 2, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. At this point, Abram and his wife Sarai do not have any children. Children were really the measure of success and blessing in this culture. And, it, and, and there were laws as to who would inherit your estate if there were no heirs to be had. So Abram just has a very practical question for God. You've promised to make me a leader of, of nations, but I don't have any children. Not even a daughter. Not, and daughters in this day were not measured to, to the same level as sons. Uh, it, I'm glad things have changed in our culture today. The Lord speaks back to Abram. This, is, this man will not be your heir. A son coming from your own body will be your heir. Verse 5, he took him outside, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. You ever tried? When I was a kid, I tried. They start flickering and then you lose count. You lose sight of where you're at. And, and I, I, we can't count them. Then God said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. In verse 6, there's a lesson many of us can learn from Abram. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him his righteousness. Do we believe God? Do we believe the promises that God makes to us? We're willing to wait, even in the midst of delay, for, for God to do what he says he will do? Abram believed, but he still had some questions. When we get to verse 8, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I'll gain possession of this land that you've promised me? How can I know that I'm going to have a son that you've promised me? How can I know? God doesn't get angry at Abram's questions. And God doesn't get upset that he's not fully all in, even though he's shown himself to be willing to go wherever God's leading. Instead, God decides to do something that if you read in Scripture, seems a little bit confusing. But when you understand what's going on in the background, this would have been very reassuring to Abram. God says in verse 9, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a cow, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. That's kind of a gross image, isn't it? You get the cow, you got the goat, and you got the ram, and Abram just sits there and he cuts them in half. Messy. Let's be honest. Kind of gross. Guts kind of spilling out. It's just not a pleasant scene. The, the birds, Scripture tells us, he did not cut them in two, but he ranged them um, on opposite ends of each other. And the birds of the prey came down the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, <laughs> Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. It's a strange request from God, but even stranger actions to cut them in half and to, to, to create this kind of pathway, if you will. But Abram does what God's told him because Abram understands what's happening. See, God began this conversation to affirm Abram. Abram and then asked questions that seemed to call into 
to, to question God's promises, but God, but Lord, and God responds to Abram. Verse 17, when the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This flaming, smoking fire pot and blazing torch are the very presence of God. We read here in Genesis chapter 15, as God himself walked between the pieces. That doesn't make any sense to us, does it? That is so confusing. This Bible thing, Pastor, what are we supposed to get out of this? When we dig a little bit deeper, we begin to make sense of what's going on. So while we are confused, Abraham understood exactly what was happening. See, in the Middle East, uh, in the Middle Eastern world, this practice would have been very familiar to Abraham. See, covenant was significant and involved several steps, each with a deep, life-changing meaning. Uh, There were nine traditional steps in a covenant ceremony. The first one would be the exchanging of robes. You would exchange coats. uh, In a sense, to confuse identity. You would wear your your covenant partner's coat. They would wear your coat as if to try to look like them. Uh, From a distance, one would see the partner's robe and think, well, isn't that so-and-so? They're not an enemy. They're my friend. They're my covenant partner. There would be an exchange of belts. They would take their belts off. This would be kind of a show of strength. We're going to share our strength with one another. If you had big belts, big, they always wore big belts because big belts, you could hold weapons. And, and so you want to wear a big belt. So this, this belt you would trade with your covenant partner would, would be a re, an affirmation of your strength. And then now the assets you're sharing together. What's mine is yours. What's yours is now mine. So they're sharing coats. They're sharing belts. There would then be an exchange of weapons as, a, as an indication of exchange of enemies. We're vowing to protect one another. If you get attacked, I'll be there to, def- to fight with you. If I'm attacked, I expect you to come and help protect well, what's mine and what's ours? There would be a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, with a heifer cut in half, just as God had just instructed Abram to do. Life must be given for the covenant to be fulfilled and to be real, to be legal. The heifer was a signal of this unbreakable covenant. Blood made this much more than a contract. This was serious. Then together they would do what was called the walk of death. They would walk this path together. Facing one another, they'd walk through the blood path created with the two halves of the sacrificed heifer. One would turn left, the other would turn right, and together they would form a figure eight. The figure eight turns sideways, takes on the sign of infinity, which means it lasts forever. There's no end to our covenant together. There then would be a mark on the body, a striking of hands, if you will, with a knife or, or a blade. The incision would be made along the palm or on the wrist. Then the hands would be grasped together in a sense, becoming blood brothers or blood mixing with one another. This is still a practice today in many primitive cultures of our world. Uh, It's a tradition that indicates, or that would be indicated by or or reaffirmed by the waving of hands. So when you wave hello to someone, it goes back to this idea of covenant. You are showing your covenant partner your scar. See this? I'm your friend, not your enemy. We're together. And the shaking of hands comes from this premise of covenant relationship, this mixing together. There'd be a sharing of blessings and curses before witnesses, after the sacrifice, after the blood walk. Bless you if you honor our covenant. Curse you if you break it. This implies oneness together. This, this reiterates the words that God just made and promised to Abram. We see this very, these, these very words in Scripture. Then they share a meal together. Again, before witnesses, not just sharing a meal, but they would feed one another. 
ingesting this food that was fed to you by someone else, meaning you're taking me into yourself, into your life. We still see this lived out today in wedding ceremonies. When bride and grooms feed each other cake. There's legitimate studies that, that, will, that, that can look back at on wedding days, and depending on how aggressive that feeding is. Now, there's some fun feedings, don't get me wrong, but there's some that go a little bit above fun. You've seen them, you know what I'm talking about. Is if I have to one-up the other, and in that moment, if, if that's what's happening in the feeding of cake to, to, between a husband and a wife at the day of their wedding, those marriages statistically do not last. It's not hard to figure out why. You can see it from the very beginning. This idea of covenant that we enter into, we, we see a lot of these things lived out in a, in a marriage ceremony. It's the closest thing we have in our culture today that helps us to relate what's happening. Talk a little bit about marriage in just a few moments. But in the Middle Eastern world, this is literally called cutting a covenant. Thus, we see cutting. We see cutting in multiple ways. But the last practice that you would see as part of the ceremony would be the exchange of names. They stand facing one another. And I'll put your name in the middle of mine. And every time my name is spoken aloud, it will tell everyone that, who my covenant partner is. This is exactly what happens with God and Abram. Later in Genesis chapter 17, God shows up and Yahweh, pronounced Jehovah, at this point Yahweh without any vowels, Jehovah with the A-H at the end, God takes part of his name and puts it right in the middle of Abram's name, and Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. All because of the covenant that God's entering into with Abraham. God then becomes, God Jehovah now becomes the God of Abraham. Even God himself takes upon Abraham's name to reinforce to everyone who hears it who he's in covenant relationship with. This is how far God goes with those that he loves. Now, moving forward, we see God become the God of Abraham. And in the Middle Eastern world, this would have been significant. This would have told a story. This would have been a reaffirmation to, to all those who knew Abraham of who was important to him. Abram is now Abraham. Well, whose name are you sharing? I'm sharing Jehovah's name. Ooh, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty significant statement. When you go out in public, do people know who you serve? Do they know that God's important to you? I'm saying you wear God's name on your sleeve, but it shouldn't be very hard for our world to know that there's something different about us. Do we look like the world? Do we take upon the name of the world? The covenant renewal becomes very important because it allows us to step back and to evaluate those parts of our lives that we've allowed the world to kind of take God's place. It's an important time. It's a significant time. The closest thing that we have in our culture today that even mirrors this in any way is a marriage covenant. When I do marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling or even marriage counseling, covenant is a central theme to our conversations. It has to be. If you just want a legally binding marriage, I'm not the one to walk you through that because this means so much more. A bride walks down the what? the aisle. I, there, there was a time when you had to go and get a blood test before you could be married. Uh, the, the, the groom should go and ask for permission from one's family in order to, uh, to have the woman's hand in marriage. Upon marriage, there's a sharing of names. We, we see a lot of the same elements from the covenant relationship mirrored in the marriage ceremony. That's why we should take marriage so seriously. It's a reflection 
Don't miss this. It's a reflection of our covenant relationship with God. In our culture today, when marriage is becoming different things, I get the most upset because it's not just about marriage. It's about redefining who God is. And we should be concerned when our culture tries to do that. God wants us to take covenant seriously. And we try to redefine the very thing that reflects what that covenant looks like in our culture and context. That should concern us. They're not intended to end short of death, thus in a marriage relationship, until death do us part. Blood covenants were the same. They could not be broken. Through this covenant, they were becoming one. My identity is your identity. Your enemies are my enemies. Your stuff is my stuff. Your name is my name. Your future is my future. What kind of God would put himself on equal grounds with this type of covenant? (laughs) A God who desires to be one with those he's created. What kind of God would do this? Only a God who with his hands has lovingly created us, with his very breath has breathed life into us. That's how I know there's one true God. Nothing else makes sense to me. This same God offers a covenant of oneness with us. His imprint, this imprint of eternity is upon our lives as well. The covenant that God offers is not just about forgiveness or about heaven. It's not fire insurance against hell. It's about being one with him. About finding my identity and finding life in him. Many of us, to be honest, we've just forgotten what this feels like. Perhaps we've drifted. That's why covenant renewals are important. Why there's significant opportunities for us. Because church, God still desires to be one with you. Oneness. Whether it be through covenant or through marriage, our personal identity is gone. When we say I do, whether it be to a spouse or to God, I cease to exist as I once was. But I become better. Because now God becomes a part of me. Or I become better because now I get to share life with a spouse. And what once I once had, I got to be willing to let go of for the the sake of now what God's brought together. In the name of God, this God of Abraham, this God of Jacob, this God of Israel, who's now the God of Brian, uh, the covenant did not make Abram righteous. The covenant resulted from Abram's faith. And God invites each of us to step into the same relationship, to walk the blood path with him, to share our, our robes and our cloaks and our belts and our names. God wants that even today with each of us. Over these next several weeks together, we're going to talk about the different elements of covenant and how it expresses itself in Scripture. Last week on Christmas Eve, we shared in communion together. What did we do? We shared a meal. Christ literally feeds us part of himself. Take me in you. I become part of you. I want to be with you. See, when we understand covenant properly, then all of a sudden, this means a whole lot more. This means significantly different things than I thought it did before I understood what covenant was. I read God's word now, and I see covenant language all throughout his word. And I hope that it excites you. I hope that it excites you the way that it does me. And all of this came about because Abram was willing to question God's timing. God can take it. God understands our questions. Yet God had promised. There was a delay. Abram was told to wait. He never really ever did see the complete fulfillment. He did have a son. We'll talk about his son in a few weeks. 
God keeps his promises. Perhaps today, many of us are awaiting the fulfillment of God's promise in your life. You've been waiting a long time. And I hope this morning you've been reminded that our God is a God of covenant, and he keeps his word, and he will follow through. He's still making covenants with his people, still inviting us to know him, still waiting with open arms for us to come to him. See, we find ourselves in the midst of an exciting season as a church. We recognize what God is doing. We look forward to what he's going to continue to do among us. Amy and I used to count our time in days. Uh, days have now become 18 months, and very soon we'll begin counting our time together in years. For some, like, oh my, has it been that long already? But I get excited about that because now we begin to see what God is up to. It's not a short thing. It's not a little thing. It's a big thing. And, and while we, none of us like transition, uh, quite honestly, we're, we're always going to be in some sort of transition. Life is about constant transition and change and, and navigating the ebbs and flows. And some transition is slow or barely perceptible. And sometimes transition is quick. And sometimes we seek transition out. Sometimes it surprises us. There's always going to be these, these times of transition in our lives. Yet I'm comforted in the reality that God is never in transition. He's still faithful and on track. The question we need to continually ask ourselves is, are we? Are there promises we're waiting on God to fulfill? If so, we can be reminded of Abraham's waiting, be reminded of the covenant that God entered into with him, and know that that same opportunity is available to us. We can be reminded, as God did to Abraham, to not be afraid that God is our shield and our very great reward. Abram was told to go, and he obeyed. When God tells us to go in the unknown, we only obey if we're in a covenant relationship with him. It doesn't make sense to obey him otherwise. It, it, it feels lost. It feels like confusing. It, it wouldn't make any sense. But in relationship, the going becomes easier because we know that he's with us. As God stretches us and moves us into new areas of ministry, into styles of ministry, into people that, that need to be loved and to be supported into the unknown, we do it knowing that we're not alone, that he's gone before us. There's a land that he promised Abraham. There's a land that he promises us that we can have if we just follow him. It begins with oneness with God. It begins with walking the path. It begins with being willing to give up on who we are to become who God wants us to be in him. It's a time of resolutions. I'm going to just be honest with you. I've made a lot of them in my life. I've not kept any. They don't last very long. But today I resolve. I commit myself. I surrender again. I renew my covenant with him. Everything else, there's things I want to lose weight. I, I, I want to do different things. I, there's things I want to do. I want to be healthier. I, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. These things, those are good things. But I can't accomplish any of that on my own. I only do it with him only with him. When I'm one with God, everything else is better. Not perfect. Not painless. Not without struggle. But better. As we end 2023 together, my identity is gone. 
I'm Brian, child of God. He's my God. He's the God of Brian today. He's the God of fill in your name today. And all I have to offer him is myself. Fortunately, that's all he asked for. Be glad for that today. You stand with me? I want to pray with you. Perhaps you've been wrestling with this idea of renewal all service long. Maybe you get a little bit better now. Maybe you're more confused than when you came in. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd be glad to talk with you afterwards. But I'm glad you're here. If you're looking for a church, we'd love to have you. If you're visiting, man, thank you for choosing us this morning. But I hope you get an idea of what we're going to be about as a church, of who God is and who we are striving to become. And you'll allow him to keep working on you. He loves you. He wants to be one with you. What a great way to start 2024. Father, thank you for a love that we can't possibly understand. For being willing to enter into a covenant relationship with us. Lord, we have nothing to bring to the table. <laughs> we have nothing to offer you. In our minds, Lord, we don't feel like we have any substance to bring into this relationship. Why would you want that? <laughs> Yet you do. Because you created us. You shaped us, Lord. You, you, you put a little bit of yourself, a little bit of heaven inside of our hearts. It keeps calling out to us, drawing us home. God, I pray if there's some holding back this morning, they'd just let go. They'd walk the path, they'd surrender, they would desire, Lord, to be one with you. As we end one year, begin another. It's always this time of cliches and out with the old, in with the new. Lord, but you don't change. You're the same God. We sang about earlier, you don't change. And you still love and you still embrace, you still await and you still accept. You still redeem, you still restore. So Lord, we want to step into relationship with you, renew our covenant with you, become one with you. I pray, Father, you would just speak to your people today, draw us close. May we take serious, Lord, this thing that we've entered into with you, till death do us part. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great new year.